so that way you don't have moments of, oh my god, I don't remember this title. Welcome to I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside. I'm Scott, and with me is... I'm Sam. Yeah, we're we're, we're sitting in the basement just chatting. We, we aren't going to do Pick of the Week this time around, because um, th- this whole episode's more going to be... Uh, we're we're going to be talking about what we've consumed media-wise over summer vacation. So think of it as, as an extent, sort of picks of the season, as it were. Call it a giant list of recommendations. Yeah, we're, we're going to burn through a bunch of stuff, give our thoughts, and... I'll See what we out, do. I'll say, and we'll weed out some of the bad for you. Yeah. All right. So where do we want to start? Well, um, I thought I had business. First off, I gotta say, yeah, the, the check from Bandai bounced. We aren't going to be talking about Gundam for a good long while. But if anyone who uh, started listening recently is going through the back catalog, I'm trying to put together a promo. So if you guys want to like email me timestamps of a uh, good like 10 to 15 minute uh 15 second clips that'd be mu- much appreciated just anything you think is particularly funny or shows off what the show's what, what's good in the show just email that to sbopodcast at gmail.com any other business no <laughs> that took you a few seconds to figure out yes <laughs> so where do we want to begin well, I'm just going to say right now, we aren't going to do movies, because I spent the entire summer starting a new movie review show. It's called Backseat Quickies. Most of the episodes are six minutes long. You can get my thoughts on basically every movie I saw over the summer that way. Yeah, let's just put a top three of things we saw. Don't need to go into detail. Okay, so top three, hmm, I am going to say... You go first. <laughs> okay, uh, top three movies that I saw this summer that I quite enjoyed. The first one definitely being The Help. You can listen to my quickie on that. I'm not going to explain further why it's awesome. I already did that. Second movie on the list that I saw that I quite enjoyed was Paul. Again, we got a quickie on that. Paul was pretty awesome. And finally, I'm going to talk about Captain America. Again, we did a quickie on it, but oh my god, Chris Evans is so cute. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to say um, Thor for number one, just because it was Thor. It was pretty good. And I'm going to say Captain America number two, although I I was going to save this for a later episode, but I'm going to say right now, something that doesn't come up in the quickie, but I should mention, is that Captain America is missing exactly one scene. Now, if you haven't seen it, this isn't really spoilers, but at, at the end of the movie, as he's crashing the plane into the Arctic, he's he, he's telling his love interest that um, he's going to have to postpone their date. And obviously he lands in the Arctic and gets frozen for 70 years. And what, what's missing is, at the end of the movie, there needs to be the scene in that bar that they, they spent their time in, where, you know, two of the barmaids are gossiping about how sweet old Peggy is coming in every Saturday for the past 70 years and how it's kind of sad that whoever she was waiting for doesn't seem to show up until in walks Chris Evans they meet, they hug, they dance that's the one scene that is missing it's it's this one unresolved bit of the story. Doesn't niggle at you at first but will bother you the, the day after. And in number three I'm gonna go to Paul which we caught on DVD and was pretty fun. It was pretty good fun. times. Fun times. Simon Pegg was pretty damn adorable Nick Frost grew on me. I wasn't really much of a fan of him at first, but after watching Paul, I can definitely say I'm excited for him and Simon Pegg to be in Tintin. That's for damn sure. Oh, Tintin. Yeah, you and I are sitting here going, oh, we want to go see Tintin now, but it's not out yet. <laughs> see, I, I know most of our listener base is American and doesn't quite understand Tintin. It's one of those weird overlap. It's one of those weird things about Canadian pop culture where 90% of it is almost identical to American and there'll be just this one thing that catches on here that you guys just don't totally get. It's that small 10% because you've got all kinds of really fun stuff that comes out of places like Quebec. Well, yeah, like, um, uh, Tintin was a is a series of uh, sort of pulp adventure stories in graphic novel format by a Belgian comic artist, and they were animated by a French, by uh, Nelvana, and so they got some pretty big airplay in Canada because anything produced by Nelvana tends to get 
um, pretty heavy running on the CBC or um, lately, more more so lately on Teletoon, which is our Cartoon Network. Yeah, so it got a lot of heavy airplay when we were people our age were kids. So yeah. it, it's fascinating, a, a cultural fascination. Not just that, most kids were forced to watch it in French class. Too. Oh yeah, and it was part of the standard viewing and reading for French for French yeah. classes. Most of the time, you can't find Tintin uh, comics in English. It's only recent that you can really find them in English. Uh, most of the time, you had to read them in French. Yeah, um, they're a good practice too for people learning how to speak French. I remember reading a few of them back when I actually pretend I understood French. <laughs> Unlike you, who could actually read them and properly understand. Yeah, but Tintin was just, just really great adventure stories. I mean, he went to the moon and punched Aztec mummies and stuff. I love Tintin. I can't wait. <laughs> but okay, video games of the summer. Do you want to start there? Well, okay. M- my or plan... We go we'll, we'll go back and forth. Um, so my plan... My, my plan was for this to be the summer of SMT. And then I got distracted by shinies. But um, I did make some pretty serious headway. I'm about halfway through uh, Shin Megami Tensei Persona 4. You can go back to that one episode to get a full our full thoughts on 4. But just to say that Persona 4 is very solid. I'm, I'm enjoying the... I, I really do enjoy the gameplay improvements it brings, if not uh, the characters as much from 3. But you want to go? Well, just to add on to Persona 4, I mean, they just announced the new Vita version, which is said to have enhanced improvements, but if it doesn't give me my female MC version, uh, I'm going to be kind of disappointed. Especially because I would love to have a female character that could punch Yosuke in the face. Oh. I really hate Yosuke. Yosuke's a douche. I've said my thoughts before, I think Persona 3 is the vast superior game. I do love all the uh, improvements for makes. A game that I recently just consumed that, oh my god, if you haven't played it and you own an Xbox or a PS3, you really should go out and do yourself a favor to get it, is Catherine. Uh, I just finished Catherine this morning, and uh, I have to say it's probably one of the best games I've played in a long time. I mean, the block-pushing mechanics that the game presents, I mean, it's a beautiful metaphor of this idea of climbing a Tower of Babel to find your inner truth. We've seen this before in a lot of other games, but, you know, you can make a whole gameplay mechanic out of it. It's, it's pretty fascinating. What makes the game even more solid is the fact that the decisions you make in the game truly affect the way the story plays. In some ways, it almost plays like a lot of Western games, where your decisions, you know, influence your outcome. Now, in my case, I was heavy law. Like, you have a difference between law and chaos, and chaos means you choose skanky Catherine, and law means you choose stick in the mud Catherine. I picked stick in the mud Catherine, just because, you know what, I didn't believe in the whole cheating aspect. I really didn't think Vincent actually quote-unquote cheated. And as the game goes on, I mean, it's interesting to watch Vincent's psyche and how it changes and how you have the ability to influence how he's feeling and just the amount of torture he feels throughout the game. So uh, that's that's a definite thumbs up. Like I said, if you can get it, go for it. You won't regret it. And it's definitely a game you're going to want to replay and replay just to see what happens. Something else I played through that kind of ate my summer to pieces was Borderlands. I picked it up. I picked up the Game of the Year edition on the cheap, so I played through that. It definitely does a good job of blending um, so the Diablo-style quest and loot-driven gameplay thing with a first-person shooter. I mean, uh, the hitboxes on enemies are kind of dodgy, and I don't like how it handles rocket launchers, but everything else about it is very solid. It's very fun. Like, I, I stayed up way too late. I'll, a lot of times, I just going, all right, let, let me finish this one quest, and then, and then bed. And, and then I'd look, and it But yes, a lot of fun. I dig the setting. I really like the art style to it. Uh, I actually do enjoy a lot of the... I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of... Uh, playing a uh, siren character. She has one of the most unique special abilities I've seen in a shooter, and uh, that that just kept things very fresh and interesting for me. Another gem I finally got my hands on was Fallout New Vegas. We've had it for a while, but I had been listing out on Western games, and then this year I forced myself to finish Mass Effect 2, and last year I'd started playing Mass Effect 1, and I was like, I don't know if I like these Western RPG things. Then I got hooked to Fallout New Vegas, and I'm pretty sure I put in at least 70 or 80 hours into it. I've gotten two out of the four major endings. I mean, this game is nuts, but it's a fun kind of nuts. Um, I played a character who first was incredibly lawful, and then about halfway through I decided, eh, I'm gonna make her kind of a bitch. Um, I also have played all the DLC that's come out since, uh... 
up to uh, Lon uh, Lonesome Road, which isn't out yet. Dead Money, not worth money. <laughs> um, it's a very, very irritating DLC to play, if just for the fact that while the, the concept of having a collar strapped to your neck is cool, the fact that, you know, you don't have a lot of time to escape detonation in places is really annoying. I think I had to redo one section a few times just because I couldn't find where one of the uh, speakers was to blow it up. So that was driving me absolutely bonkers until I realized I'm like, oh, okay, one's actually above my head and the other is so far up that I don't know if I can hit it from where I am without exploding. Those little things are very irksome and it's just something I can't recommend. The only joy I did get out of Dead Money was locking Father Elijah up in the safety deposit box and letting him suffocate to death. Um, I haven't played any of the DLC for New Vegas yet, but I will with this current hardcore melee playthrough that I'm sort of partway through. And something I'll say about Fallout New Vegas is that I cut Obsidian a lot of slack because I see that they're ambitious. Like, as much as their games are very, very flawed, I see it is a flawed gem rather than bits of corn sticking out of a pre-existing turd, if you can follow that metaphor. <laughs> Which, if you can, kudos. But they are trying to do very big things with their writing, and it doesn't always work with their coding. And the fact that they seem to keep taking these really bad contracts with uh, various publishers just hasn't helped them at all. I'm really looking forward to seeing what these guys can do with a full budget and a time schedule they can actually work within and, you know, maybe more than three QA guys. Yeah, that part's a little embarrassing about Fallout New Vegas sadly. The amount of uh, bugs and crashes you will get, they're frequent unfortunately, and I'm sure if this game had had just a little bit more time and a little bit more polish, it'd probably be fine. Um, funny enough though, the DLC, all three of them, well Dead Money, not so much, but the other two, Honest Hearts and um, Old World Blues, you don't find a lot of bugs in those, which is kind of surprising. Of the three DLC I played, the one I will definitely recommend to everybody is to play Old World Blues. If just for the sole fact that there is a killer toaster who, once you put his uh, sink chip back in, he threatens to murder you. And you can actually provoke the toaster to do it, which is kind of awesome. There's also some light switches who, if you touch them, they get upset because they think you're flirting with the other light switch. And, you know, you have to try to make them happy. But, I mean, the whole part is that you're, you're searching for your brain and you're trying to make your brain come back. <laughs> after you've been lobotomized. And it's just, it's a really, really quirky DLC, and, like, you'll laugh a lot. It's a very challenging DLC. Like, you will find yourself dying or being finding yourself outnumbered a few times. That part's not as fun. But the decisions you get to make in, in this particular DLC are really worth the price. What else have I played game-wise? Because I think you've beaten more than me this year. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, or these past few months, I'm trying to think what else I've been working through. Probably the work. Oh, yeah. I have been playing L.A. Noir. Basically, I'll sit down do a whole case and leave it alone for two or three days, just enjoying it very episodically, which which the way the level the game is set up works really well as a means to do it. It's almost like getting a taste of your weekly cop show, but you play it. I'm, I'm in, I am enjoying the gameplay, I think. Uh, obviously, this is Rockstar Publishing, but they've brought a lot of their ideas and polish to Team Bondi, and regardless of all the rumors flying around about how employees were being treated, I think the results of what they did were, were absolutely stupendous. I think this, um, I, I think the investigation mechanic is just this fantastic step up from sort of similar games. Like, I've played all five Phoenix Wright games you can get in North America, and I'm sort of sad that we aren't going to get uh, Ace Attorney Investigations 2, by the looks of it, but I think it's a huge step up in terms of, you know, just, just the, in the way the interrogation mechanic works out. That, that said, for the most part, it's kind of easy to spot suspects tells. I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm on the vice desk now, which is still about, which is about two-thirds of the way through the game. So I haven't come up against, like, apparently there are super hard people to crack compared to right now. But it, it's sort of like you ask an actor to say something in character and he'll say it just fine. And then you ask him to lie in character and sort of be obvious about lying. And you, you can tell just immediately that you either have to double check your evidence log or just uh, throw down the doubt button. That said, the, my biggest complaint with the game are any sections that involve on-foot tailing, which is basically a really, really, is a really, really bullshit stealth mechanic. Like, we're, we're talking that one section of Wind Waker level of bad here where... Oh, oh, you, you you have to stay close, but if you, but every now and again, arbitrarily, the the guy the guy you're following just looks around.
around for no reason. Oh, and look, you aren't crouched behind something. Failed. Like, it, it's a very, like, it's a very Japanese approach to stealth gameplay, and I realize that stealth is hard to do, but if Thief 2 is still the gold standard for sneaking around games, that's just sad. Well, it didn't help that you had one section where you had to do this stealth thing, like, five times oh, in yeah. a row. That was pretty bad. And, and what's weird is that um, tailing someone in a car is so pathetically easy in comparison. It just, it does not make any sense, the disparity between the two. I mean, luckily enough, it lets you skip it after you fail three times, so sometimes, so there were a few cases, especially in the last case I did, where I would uh, just, just run in front of my target to get the fail so I could skip this annoying section and get to the part of the game that's fun. One, one thing, just to end this on a positive note, is if you haven't played it yet, or are, like, replaying it, take the, take the fire engine that's behind the, pol that's behind police headquarters out every now and again, just to get your partner's reaction to it, especially if you make them drive. They tend to get very upset about having to drive a fire engine. This will be my last pick for video games, uh, and the last awesome, most awesome game I played this summer is Ghost Trick. I was fortunate enough to have- Sam, Sam huh? I, I think before you tell about Ghost Trick, I think you have to tell the audience about your experience with L.A. Noir. Oh, okay. Before I talk about Ghost Trick, so I failed the tutorial mission. How did I do this? Um, I blew up my car in the ravine, and the game told me I had to walk to my destination, except I was trapped in the ravine, and Cole Phelps can't climb the slope. <laughs> that was really, really embarrassing. It also didn't help that, like, the amount of damage I racked up was enough to get, you know, the city on me. <laughs> um, but it was pretty embarrassing. Like, I couldn't figure out how to drive damn car. And the fact that I dumped myself in a ravine just shows you that I just didn't care anymore. So embarrassing. <laughs> okay, now you talk about Ghost Trick. Ghost Trick is the latest from the Phoenix Wright team. It's quite the departure from Phoenix Wright in some ways, where Phoenix Wright had you, you know, playing the blame game. Ghost Trick forces you to be very perceptive in how the like how the mechanics work. You're playing as a man who has been murdered, and on the fateful night of his murder, he doesn't quite he doesn't quite die. His spirit lives on, and he finds himself trying to save the life of the woman who supposes the whole game is wrapped up in this mystery of who is this character named uh, Cecil, right? And how who who is Cecil really, and why did he die that night? So you have a whole night to try to investigate your your death. The mechanics great though. I mean, you use the stylus to um, jump into objects and manipulate them, and the whole point of each chapter is you're trying to reverse the deaths of a character within the scenario. So for an example, there's one uh, one mission where you're in this house and uh, this little girl's dog dies. Dog Missile, who's this little Pomeranian who's really hyperactive and very sweet. Uh, and Missile dies. He gets shot by uh, this uh, gentleman named Tango. So Cecil sees that Missile's been killed and he decides that he's going to rewind time so that way Missile can save his mistress and also, you know, be alerted to the potential assassin coming into her, her house. So you get four minutes to rewind time and fix the situation. So it's really fun to be able to manipulate the objects um, and allow yourself to um, solve the puzzle. Like, and the best part of this game is there really is no set way to solve the puzzles. Like, it's very trial and error. Sometimes you'll be able to figure out instantly and sometimes you're going to be sitting there going, I don't know what this game wants me to do. The real, the only real downside to Ghost Trick is the time limit. Like, you don't feel the time limit until it comes up and flashes as time is passing, but you don't know how much time has actually passed in that moment. So that part can be very misleading at times. But overall, I mean, it's got a solid story. The characters are fabulous. It was localized beautifully by Capcom, which says a lot because Capcom's kind of special when it comes to localization. Uh, Resident Evil, anybody? Um, but yeah, it's definitely one I would highly recommend if you've got a DS and you like the Phoenix Wright games. And live in America because you it's can't hard buy to it in Canada. I found it actually Capcom in Canada. Hates French people. Actually, I found it in Canada. Oh. I found it in a Best Buy near our house. Oh, but it's really expensive. <laughs> Okay, then. <laughs> so, apparently it finally did get released. It's just the beginning, the whole, it had no French manuals, so they couldn't sell it in our country. <laughs> Which is annoying. <laughs> yeah. 
And, okay, Mo moving on to TV, it's summer. There's not a lot of TV on, but I did start uh, catching up the new seasons of both Burn Notice and Leverage. They're both about teams of highly skilled individuals working outside the law to help people. Burn Notice is in its fifth season, and the formula is really hurting it at this point. Like, for the first few episodes, you think it's going to be different from the more, the, the typical, the formula established in the first four seasons, and then it, it's not. It goes back and you're stuck with the same old song and dance. Le Leverage is pretty Formula 2, but it's an episodic show, so you tend not to mind it so much. I also started watching uh, a new anime called Usagi Drop. You can catch it up, check it on Country Roll. Uh, Jeff mentioned the manga a few episodes back. It's a really cute show. It's cute and funny and very endearing. That, that's basically it for me for, for me and TV right now. Sam? You're a liar. We've been watching Daria. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we bought Dar I bought Sam Daria on DVD for her birthday. So we've been re-watching Daria, we which have, is awesome. We have rewatched so much Daria to the point where we're quoting episodes, and that's never a good sign. I have been running around my house going, You're not going to get any guacamole. You're going to miss the guacamole. Because I have a really odd love of Daria's mental case dad. Also, Daria is like my hero. I just... She's so fun. Yeah. Just the sarcasm, the wit of the show. I mean, it didn't get its due when it was on TV. And the people who loved it... Loved you know, it a lot. They loved it a lot. It's kind of like watching... I don't know, Daria was is, was my, my teen years. And I kind of appreciate the show just for the fact that she was saying a lot of things that most of us were thinking. Whereas, you know, my preteen years were totally in the body of Pepperan, And I fully accept that. <laughs> so Dar Daria is still awesome. And it's definitely worth going back and rewatching because it's still just as brilliant now as it was then. I mean, the only sad part, of course, is the music, right? But you know what? I'm okay with that. Well, in most cases, the music was just sort of there. There are only a few points where you really wish it had it had the original music back. Like, there's this one scene where a bunch of characters are driving in a van, and it's kind of parodying uh, a certain R.E.M. video. And, and on the TV broadcast version, it had the R.E.M. song. Of course, on DVD, it doesn't. And the, the joke loses a lot of its punch that way. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We get what we get. It finally came out on DVD. I'm peachy keen for the most part. The only other like, show I can talk about, because I don't really watch a lot of TV, truthfully, um, and when I do, it's usually a lot of mindless crapola. Like, we've been watching Hell's Kitchen. We really, really love Hell's Kitchen. Jeff Ramsey have has yet to call anyone a donkey yet. Yeah, but he's called them a few other special he, like, names. He, he's cussed them out, but no one's been called a donkey. I think he's sitting on it for the big time when it, when it gets down to like Final Four stuff. Oh no, I think he's waiting for the pristine opportune moment to uh, do it to Elise because she really is the biggest donkey on the team. I mean, I was so... I laughed You know so what? I am get, I'm actually going to be kind of sad when she finally gets kicked off because she is just so entertaining to hate. Like, <laughs> As, it's like, God damn you, woman. I hate you as a human being. But. You're so funny. <laughs> you are so fun to watch. You're delusional. It's just fun when she goes around saying, like, I totally did all the teamwork. Meanwhile, it's like, you threw everybody under the bus, sweetheart. You don't even know what throwing someone under the bus means. Although I did really, really, really love when she kicked over the trash can. And Chef Ramsay said, you know, if you feel the need to take your rage out on the bin. And she gives him this look like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, pick up the bin. <laughs> like that was kind of brilliant yeah. <laughs> and the only other show I'm going to talk about very briefly is we started watching Ride Back oh yeah Ride Back which I've mentioned on the show before and but Sam's finally watching it so I'll let her uh, I'm finally out. watching it I've seen about I think we've watched three episodes um, I love the concept I love this idea that there's a failured prima ballerina who's fallen in love with a giant robot it, it is a transforming robot motorcycle and just the joy on her face like that, like this is a madhouse show, and I love them for their action scenes. But on this show, their their facial expressions are so solid. Like especially for the lead, but even some other characters later on, is that you know what they capture the look of pure rapture and the joy of movement better than a lot of animation I've seen. Like it, it's almost like the facial expressions on this show are get to levels that approach uh, Kyoto Animation's 
abilities. Uh, I think what I love about Rideback is there is such a beauty in the way in which everything flows and which the way everything moves. And I really, really love the main character that they have for the story because she's she is very atypical to what you would expect in a show that features first off giant robots. Not that giant. Well, they're not that giant, but the concept of a motorcycle robot, right? I mean, she's a she's kind of a priss, but she's a very sweet girl, very naive, and you can sympathize with a lot of what she's feeling. She's somebody who, you know, she screwed up royally, and she can't fix what she screwed up, and she's trying to find something that makes her feel good about herself because, you know, she feels like such a failure for the most part, and it's it, it's in the encounter with these machines that she suddenly finds a reason to live again. So I, I really like the actual message that the show's conveying in some ways. It's quite lovely. So I'm looking forward to watching more of that at some point, <laughs> providing Daria doesn't continue to consume my soul. Alright, so do we want to go to books? Sure. Alright, so I've been reading piles and piles of stuff over the summer, but, uh, like, I've been catching up with Full Metal Alchemist. It's Full Metal Alchemist. If you haven't read it yet, do it. Great stuff. I'm on volume 21, so really building towards the end, and the intrigue's getting very, very good. And I'm now going through my Goodreads, which is tricky, because my Goodreads is new, and so I've rated a bunch of things that I've read previously. <laughs> But I have only read, but there are a few things that I've read recently. But I think I'm going to start with um, the biggie of the summer, the thing that I was really looking forward to, which was Jim Butcher's Ghost Story, book 13 of the Dresden Files. Awesome. It, it, it was awesome. Like, honestly, pretty much at this point, every time a new Dresden Files book comes out, it's like, oh my god, this is the best one ever. It's not just that. It gives you that kid in a candy store feeling. It's like, when is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? Oh my god, it's in my hands. And then you sit there and it's like flipping the page. And then you just the burn through it in a day. Between the two of us, I mean, the day he got it, he read me stayed up till four in the morning, whereas in my case, I took it up to my cottage and I read it in a day. Yeah. So you sit there and you're completely glued to the page and I mean, just the concept of Harry Dresden being dead is so, so rewarding to read. Like, and <laughs> this just takes the ending of Turncoat and builds on it so well. You've got Ghost of Harry Dresden running around trying to solve who killed him. And trying to help all, like, and still trying to help his friends and people he comes across. And then he was his drama with Molly Christ. Yes. And then you, you see, you really see the after effects for all the characters. Like, in, in Side Jobs, there was a story that showed off, you know, just how hard M Murphy got hit by this. But then you see what Molly does. And then, you know, how, how the city is just taking it. Like, you find out, in Turncoat, you find out that other wizards are afraid of Harry. In Changes, you find out every one was afraid of Harry. Like, Harry's been dead for six months, and now all of a sudden, all these these minor supernatural powers are moving into Chicago. And it turns out there were a lot of them that stayed away. Not not because of, you know, anyone else, but that crazy maybe dark wizard who keeps blowing things up around Chicago. And the ending of that? Man! This is good Cold days cannot come out soon enough. This is the problem of once again being a kid in a candy store when it comes to books. When you want something after you finish it, you know it's not there. <laughs> I am going to be so very sad when the 23rd book of Dresden Files comes out, and I know that there's not going to be any more. That's how we always get with book series, though. Yeah, but the, see, the thing is, it's 23. Yeah, and how do you think Wheel of, Times or Wheel, Wheel of Time fans are going to feel when, you know, Brandon Sanderson puts out that last one? Relieved? It's a, no, most of them are going to be very sad. As much as, like, neither one of us is huge on the Wheel of Time, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, when the 23rd book comes out, it's not going to be as big a deal. It'll be a big deal to us. One book that I would like to talk about is... Actually, I think I should just preface the story first. Scott, okay. Scott and I went to Polaris uh, back in the end of June. End of June or July? Yeah, I'll know. link the website so you can check the dates for us. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember off the top of my head. And while we were there, um, uh, we were walking around, and the cover of this book just kept catching my eye. So I finally went over and I investigated, and the book was called The Soldier King by Violet Mallon. Funny enough, I went over and I just I kept looking at the cover, and the author was there, and she was like, you know, that's the one that every Everybody likes. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, it's the cover. Everybody just finds themselves completely mesmerized by it. She goes, and I'm having this sort of feeling that, you know, so are you. So I talked to her about her book series. I mean, I'd never heard of her before. Spy by Dawn. Daw, da, which is a little smaller in the fa on the fantasy scene. Not 
just that she's a Toronto-based author, so it's no wonder why not a lot of people, unless you live in Toronto, are familiar with her. In any case, I mean, this is a woman who, when you meet her in person, she, she has this beautiful steampunk getup, she wears little top hats. She's very cute, and she's very fun to talk to. Like, uh, I'm almost tempted to break my no-interviews rule and just bring her on. I, I, I love her to bits. Like, I, I should bring her on, and then we should talk about something that's not her books. <laughs> oh, no. Gotta talk about her books. No, no, I, I, I still maintain my no-interviews rule for the main show. We'll, we'll, we'll bring her on, and we'll talk about Sword and Sorcery or something. <laughs> In any case, um, The Soldier King is, funny enough, it's her series about these two mercenaries. I need to stop for a second and fix, retrain my thought. Sorry, the series that she's writing is called Dylan and Parno. Um, it's not quite. A, it's not a set, or it's not quite a quartet. She doesn't know how many books she's putting in it. They're all episodic. They're all episodic. Yeah. They're not books that you need to read in any order. That's kind of the big thing. Um, the Soldier King is technically the second book published in the series, um, but it reads very much like a standalone story. Um, just the way that she describes the main characters, you don't feel like you've missed anything from the previous novel. Um, but this this has a very interesting style and setting to it. Like um, we were just discussing, it's a very low fantasy story. Like it, it's very old school um, sword and sorcery. In it. And she we we were chatting at Fan Expo because Sam had to go back and be like, I like your stuff and buying the rest of the books now. <laughs> and we we ended up saying, you know, she ended up talking about how it was sort of it was her homage to uh, old school sword and sorcery, particularly uh, Fritz Leiber's Fafford in the Grey Mask Mouser, a series that I love two bits and think is way better than Conan. Yeah, that's right. I haven't read those, unfortunately, so I can't say that I'm as familiar, but... Sam should read Fafford and the Grey Mouser. I'll get to it when I have time. Fafford and the Grey Mouser is why every fantasy setting has a Eve skill, by the way. What I love about the Soldier King is, um, I love the characters. I love Dylan. I love Harno. They have such a really fun dynamic between the two of them. Dil Dylan very more... She's more methodical and thoughtful about the way in which she does things. Parno's a little bit more of a loose cannon at times. Parno, you can tell, cares about his partner so much. And in this particular story, the two of them kind of end up taking a job where they have become actors. And that's kind of what makes this novel really fun, is you're watching these two people who, you know, they have to act in their, their actual job, but watching them kind of falter at times, is it's very entertaining. Like, you're, you're seeing very people who are very competent at what they do do something out of their comfort zone, and it gets pretty hilarious. Definitely. And just in terms of the writing style, I mean, that was something I, I had to get used to. That there, it, it is, as Scott said, it's kind of old school. So the way that she has it, some parts come across a little bit dry. And it's not actually a bad thing. It's just she's got so much that she wants to establish, especially because, again, these are episodic. So she still wants to give you, you know, that feeling that you can still jump in and feel like you understand the setting and the characters just fine. So that first little bit, it does take a while. But once you hit, like, I don't know, 100 pages, you get into the swing of things and it's just a very fast read. Yeah, but yes. Uh, also, for what I've read, um, I ended up, I finally picked up Brandon Sanderson's uh, newest big giant epic of his own rather than finishing uh, Robert Jordan's stuff, which is The Way of Kings. It, th this thing's a doorstop, and I loved every page of it. Uh, you're following four distinct characters in this really, again, like one thing Sanderson excels at is setting creation and uh, sort of and uh, devising magic systems, and this is no different. Again, he's got two or he's got two magic systems at play already. I wouldn't be surprised if a third came up in book three or something. But you're following these four characters around very, very disparate plots, and you can see them starting to draw together, but this is apparently going to go for 10 books. I'm still not sure where it's quite going, but I get the feeling it's going to be very big, very apocalyptic, and I'm going to look forward to it. Like, some, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this on air yet, but when you read Brandon Sanderson, you, you, you grab his novel and you flip to about two-thirds point, and from page one to that is him setting up dominoes. And from the page, and that that last page you're holding is when he flicks the very first one, and it all comes down, and it all comes, and then you you know pan the camera back, and you see that all these dominoes are in fact forming a giant picture of a dragon fighting an angel over a river of lava, and it's awesome. And now he's working in a ten book long format, so this is going to be some crazy dominoes, and I'm looking forward to it all the way. Plus more door stops. Oh God! And what's going to be exciting? Is is he's he's juggling this with a second trilogy in the Mistborn setting, which I'm very excited for. Yay, 
more Mistborn. Now give me some damn Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah, that Brandon Sanders, Sanderson's Alcatraz stuff is very fun. Rutabaga. Okay, you know what? I'm going to throw in my random obligatory children's pick. Um, for my job, I read a lot of children's <laughs> literature because uh, I teach ESL, so I'm always trying to find ESL-appropriate novels. And one series I found, I don't know how this happened, I got myself hooked to the Diary of a Wimpy Kid <laughs> books. These books are surprisingly brilliant. I mean, you think of a lot of kids' novels and you're just kind of like, uh, okay, it's kind of childish, whatever. But these books are kind of fun in that you're in the mind of this kind of egotistical fifth grader named Greg Heffy. And Greg, you know, Greg's job, Greg believes that he's going to be like the coolest kid at some point, you know, by the time he hits high school. But he's kind of oblivious to some of the things that he does in, in the story. The way he treats other kids, the way he talks about them. Very oblivious. He's too busy thinking about his own personal gains uh, that he can't quite comprehend when other people are mad or upset with him. He looks at it and kind of goes, I don't get it. But Okay, whatever, you know, it's fine. One thing I love, though, is that the author, Jeff Kinney, you can tell he pays attention to a lot of pop culture because he's always, you know, Greg's always got up on the latest video games. He's always up on the latest, you know, trends on television. Like, it's kind of fun to watch Greg consume media in some ways. One thing I love, though, is in the second book called Roderick Rules, he gets addicted to, it's called Mazes and Monsters. So you can pretty Mazes much... Mazes and Monsters is a far-out game. Yeah, he gets, he gets hooked to what is essentially Dungeons and Dragons. What ends up happening in this particular plot point, and it's it's just a fun one to share, Greg ends up going over to his friend Rally's house, and it turns out Rally's got a new babysitter. Rally used to have a super sexy hot babysitter that Greg had, like, the hots for, but instead they have a nerd taking care of them, and the nerd Leland decides that they're going to play this D&D type game, and Greg gets totally into it, like, he thinks it's the greatest thing ever, and he doesn't understand how this guy is the most uncool kid in high school. So, you know, Greg, you know, secretly is trying to hide the fact that he's playing this game because he's not quite sure what it is about it that makes kids uncool. Then his mom finds out he's playing it and she decides to go investigate. And Greg's mom becomes an addict. She just, she gets her own character, she plays around, and suddenly Greg decides, you know what? If my mom likes this, this can't be cool anymore. <laughs> it's um, it's really good and um, you know what? If you've got little ones, it's just a fun one to read just because there's a lot of lessons that you can learn out of it as well. So um, they come highly recommended. Alright, um, the other thing I've picked up is, uh, Daniel Abraham's, um, Path of the Dragon, which is a, which is the first book of his new series of fantasy novels, which, uh, Daniel Abraham is really interesting, or, uh, I'm sorry, it's, uh, The Dragon's Path, my mistake, book one of the, uh, of, uh, the Dagger and the Coin series, and something... Something Daniel Abraham does really well is he he does really epic scale fantasy without a lot of violence. Like as big as stuff happens, it's still incredibly character driven, and that's just so different and interesting in fantasy. And his first series has this really South Asian y feel without being all OMG to summarize. But th this book is just. But uh, Dagger and the Coin. This is a much more typical fantasy setting. But but is still very interesting. Again, you've got a bunch of different characters that I'm not sure how they're going to meet in the middle as the books go on, or even if they will, but there's a lot of politicking and a, some very great intrigue building in this book, and I cannot wait for more of this. Sam? Okay, what else have I been reading? Because I've read 80 books this year. Which one? Uh, I want to talk about comic books all right. a bit. Um, one book I do want to talk about, though, is called Deadline. Oh, we will probably end up doing a full episode episode of this on this series once the third book hits. Okay, so this was a kind of an accidental find. Uh, the series is actually called Newsflesh, and the first book in the series is called Feed. The story is about a brother and sister journalist duo by the name of, it's Georgia and Sean. And, Sean. Uh, and they are people who are blogging about the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse. The zombies are still there, we're just trying to figure out how to get rid of them. Now, unlike most zombie stories, part of what makes Newsflesh kind of fun is the fact that the main focus isn't on the actual undead creatures. It's about the way in which people are trying to, to cope with the situation, cope with the diseases that have appeared. It, it should be noted that the author is an epidemiologist, so you, you, you learn a lot about how plagues carry and then, you know, get scenes of motorcycle chases and the, the, the many various joys that come from 40mm uh, um, grenades. Sean is hilarious. Sean, you know, he jumps into a lot 
lot of these well, uh, situations like, head first. Like, these are about zombie blog bloggers. Uh, zombie bloggers and um, the more action-oriented bloggers are generally referred to as Irwins. Who tend who tend to give who have a rec who recognize each other with Golden Stevo awards just to get a feel for and Sean is considered one of the best in the field just to get a feel for what kind of stuff he might get up to. Oh God, like Sean just he doesn't he really is a character that doesn't care about his own actual life. Most of the time he's just like yeah I shot him in the head it was awesome. <laughs> Whereas you turn to his sister Georgia, um, she is she's really the brains behind this blogging group. She's a very cool, calculating type character. Everything with her is thought out and it's well planned. Being the mastermind behind this blogging website, she's forced to reconcile her feelings about what it means to still be alive after everything that's happened. Unfortunately, spoiler, Georgia dies. <laughs> about, you know, t towards the end of Feed, she's killed off by her brother, Sean. Unfortunately, Georgia gets infected with one of the viruses that um, they picked up in the field. She's slowly turned turning into one of them, and she gives Sean the task, which is why I can now move into Deadline. Deadline now moves in the perspective of Sean and how Sean is coping without George being around, and he does not handle it well. In fact, he believes he's haunted by George's voice most of the time, and in fact will talk out loud a lot, like, George, shut up, and then everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, he's actually having visions of George throughout the novel. Like, even the first time he gets laid, he's thinking about George! <laughs> George would think if he's having sex with another with a girl. <laughs> it's like, oh god, my sister's secretly watching me as I do things. <laughs> but being in Sean's perspective, I thought was going to be kind of weird at first, but it actually felt very natural for the most part. The ending of Deadline is just brilliant if you think back to the first book. Mm -hmm. um, and just the final line of the novel is so beautiful. I think when I finished it, I ran down the stairs and I was like shaking Scott just repeatedly because of what happened. <laughs> do you want to talk quickly about Newsblock? Again, something that does say didn't mention is this as much as it's about blogging the zombie apocalypse it's also about a conspiracy surrounding this virus that causes zombieism and this conspiracy story really heats up in the second volume and it's good stuff i'm looking forward to the conclusion mightily and we don't even know when that is that's the sad part that, that's the sad part we don't even though, know though there is a novella that we should get because it's uh, it talks about the days before it happened yeah. um so you get the perspective of uh sean and george uh uh, their lives before the apocalypse so what their parents were like and stuff because they constantly mention like their parents were really really weird yeah so that should be really interesting if we can find it uh, my next pick is lev grossman's the magicians which is a harry potter mixed with narnia with a heavy dose of caffeine and alcohol it follows a rather rather disaffected youth going through the college application process and then getting invited to a school for magic and this being unlike harry potter this is a college environment so there's a lot of sex and drinking and running around figuring out um, cool very weird things to do with magic but in the background, they keep mentioning this uh, children's book series that's very sim. That that's obviously just sort of a serial numbers filed off version of Narnia, where kids find their way into this fantasy world that's a vague Christian allegory type thing. And it turns out that that setting is real, and so these characters end up going to this crazy fantasy land via magic buttons. And it turns out that fairy tale lands aren't quite so much fun as they might seem. You know what? I'm I definitely give this a very high her very hearty recommendation. I think if you're a fantasy fan you should probably go through it. Take give it a look. But Sam, yours? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna continue my trend of sort of not fantasy for a moment. And I want to talk help which I already gave my recommendation for the film on the back sweet cookies. A lot of people have been complaining that the film isn't as true to the book as it should be. Now, if this movie was true to the book, the book would probably be, or the movie would be about five hours long. Uh, this is a beautifully written book. You've got three perspectives to work with. Um, and, I mean, you can listen to the quickie for a plot synopsis. I'm not giving it to you. But it's just one of those books that once you read it, you feel kind of good at the end. So I can definitely recommend that. That's not the one I was thinking of for a second there. <laughs> oh, I started my summer of sort of Stephen King. <laughs> 
I haven't read that much Stephen King, but I have been enjoying Stephen King on my off hours as an avid reader. But she still hasn't picked up Tower. No, I've read two of the Towers. Oh yeah, she has. <laughs> I have read two out of seven. Who? Um, actually, the big one that I got into was Misery of all things. Um, I read that one cover to cover. I love the plot of Misery. I love this idea that there's a psychotic woman named Annie Wilkes who's gonna give me drugs and is totally gonna tell me that you're gonna write the best damn novel. Or I'll fucking kill you. Plus, I love the movie. Misery is great. If you want a nice little mindfuck, it's it's a good one to read. But moving into comics, we had a new trade paperback, Topic Robo, for the summer. Atomic Robo, Volume 5. Atomic You're... Robo and the Deadly Art of Science. Oh, who cares about the Deadly Art of Science? He got macked on. It was adorable. Like, this is, um, what? I, what's really great about Robo is that these guys have a, like, Clevenger has an extremely firm handle on the characters, on the character of Robo as he is across the entire timeline. And so he jumps, and so you see him jump around to different periods, and Robo feels very different at each point. And this is this is technically the all second earliest story about Robo as he's seven years old teaming up with a pulp crime fighter and you it's almost like a Robo Begins kind of story where tackling a bunch of criminals who are stealing electrical equipment and the crystal skulls for Thomas Edison and he and this uh, crime fighting father daughter duo team up to to uh, stop them. All the while, you see him starting to clash with his father, Nick Tesla, and really come into his own and see the see really the origins of a lot of the high flying stuff he does later in the series. And, and, and seven year old Robo is just adorable. He really is. He's so cute. He got his first kiss. Yeah. And it was very very sweet. Yeah. You, you also see a full page spread of human on robot macking. I approved of it. This series just continues to grow on me. It's just, it's so clever and so funny, and Robo's just such a sweetheart as a character. I mean, in the old, in the other volumes, yeah, he's a bit more, you know, hardcore. Well, th that's the thing, is you get to, you get to the stuff that's set around modern day, and he's 80 years old, and he's sort of this curmudgeonly grandpa character. Like, he, he's still out there kicking butt with the best of them, but you get the feeling he's done this before. He's mm -hmm. kind of, everyone around, like, he's, he, you get the impression that he's very tired, that everyone around him seems to be about a page behind, except for Jenkins. Eh, the problem is 80-year-old Robo's just so over everything <laughs> like he he's seen this all before like his team will be he'll be will be railing against how the impossibilities of giant ants and he's just like okay giant ants time to throw buicks at them some, it's great it's some good stuff we'll probably do a full episode on robo at, at some, some point. point we keep saying there's a million things we won't cover see, see this is the thing about these episodes it's like we'll do a whole episode on this later and then we forget and, and then well, well we'll get to it eventually i've got a little list in my back pocket okay this was the same I caught up on Batman comics. Clearly, I'm behind everybody else. And you know what? I don't mind so much. Like, Scott's kind of afraid to give me the Grant Morrison stuff. He's trying to find me a good Grant Morrison one to start with. But I finally started reading Hush, which is considered one of the best Batman comics out there. Plus, it gave me tons of sexy Batman Catwoman times. Um, I used to never be huge into that pairing, but this comic really, really, really sold me on it, which was kind of unexpected for the most part. It was interesting to see all the villains come back and see how all the villains were manipulated. Especially thought that the Harley Quinn one was done really well. The other one I recently read was uh, Gotham City Sirens Union, which is our three favorite sexy villainesses, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman, you know, getting their Justice League on. And by that I mean they just sort of help each other out even though they don't entirely like each other all that much. It's an interesting take. I'm definitely going to try to pick up more of it at some point. I, I just, I love Harley Quinn. I've been trying to get my hands on a lot of the comics that feature her just because she's always been my favorite villainess for, for as long as I could remember. So uh, if you have any good recommendations, just let me know on our, on our, uh, any other comics you want to talk about. Comics. What have I picked up? I, I just got the fifth thing, a Deadpool classic. Loving it so far. It Deadpool's awesome. It has baby awesome. Deadpool on the front. Well, yeah. Or mini Deadpool, well, whatever it, it's supposed to it, be. It's an eighth scale clone, similar to a certain Austin Powers character, but I think the comic came out before Mini-Me. I'd have to double check the publication date, so don't quote me on that. In any case, he looks so cute. Widow-weighty. Widow-weighty. He's so cute. So... I guess to wrap this up, I guess my last question to you, Scott, is what are you looking forward to consuming, you know, for the rest of the year? Well, uh, aside from Tintin, we've got... Um... Like, pick a movie, a game, and a book. Okay. 
aside from Tintin, we've got uh, a game that is out, but I have gotten yet in the mail, is Deus Ex 3, which I love me some Deus Ex. And one day, there will be a whole episode about Deus Ex. When Sam I mean, plays it. When Sam plays it, or I can poke people. random internet people to talk about it. But we'll see who I can get. If not, Sam needs to play the first one and the third one, but not the second one. The second one is okay. It just had to follow Deus Ex, you and don't. nothing can do that. Also, you don't have the second one, do you? It's over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you had it or not. Mostly because everyone reminds me that there's a PS2 version and then I forget there's a PC version. <laughs> well, there's a PS2 version of one, which was terrible. Oh, that's the one I get kind of getting confused. Okay, so you picked a movie, but or in a game. What about a book? What's something in your pile maybe that you want to get to? Well, there's a few things that I just got in the mail, and one I'm really looking. But in terms of what I'm really looking forward to for books is gonna have to be yeah the, the next Mistborn novel, Alloy of Law. I'm also gonna make that my pick too, but I need to finish the other two that I haven't read yet in that series. Really which should. I will get. They're which, quite good. Which I'll get to. I'll get to. You know, this is the problem of being a book hoarder. Between the two of us, we have you know over hundreds and hundreds of novels and. We're always constantly giving each other books. And then it's like, oh, you should read this one. Oh, you should read this one. And then we never read the stuff given. <laughs> and then we do get to it. And then it's like, oh, hey, it's like, I'm already reading something else. It's like, <laughs> um, that guess... said, every year I beat Sam on page count. Yes. Scott always beats me on page count, but I always beat him in terms of number of books. Yeah. It's well... a weird competition we have that is not really a competition. It's just something really bizarre that we keep track of. It's all, but I always beat Scott in games, but he always has longer play times than I do. Yeah. So it just goes to clearly show I'm I'm an endurance runner. You're an endurance runner, whereas I'm more like okay, I've beaten it. I'm good. I'm gonna play something else now. I don't tend to play replay a lot of games. I don't do endurance playthroughs. I replay a game or I when I like a game, I'll replay it, but I'll wait months before I do it. So you know, it's one of those games I'll get to again. I'll play it again. It's like Fallout New Vegas. I keep wanting to replay it already, and it's like, no, I have a million other things I need to be playing. In terms of what I'm looking forward to, game-wise, I'm probably the only person in the world who's like, really, 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 really looking forward to the new Rune Factory game. Leave me alone, Scott. Farming is for NPCs. He said this for many years, but it hasn't stopped me from playing them. And Rune Factory is better than Harvest Moon. You leave it alone. It has combat and other things. <laughs> and buffer moves. I'm also looking forward to Atelier Tutori, which should be in the mail very soon because I have to review it for a certain website. It means I get my super uber girly game on, which I haven't been able to do actually so far this year. It's actually kind of sad. Normally I've reviewed like 20 girly games now, but <laughs> instead I've played mostly crap. So Michael Cunningham, if you're listening to this, I hate you. I love you and I hate you. And the only other thing I can possibly say I'm looking forward to is... Mass Effect 3, but that's not till next year, and we're all gonna be looking forward to it because it's like the best game ever. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know yet. A little bit. I liked Mass Effect 2 a lot, let's just put it out there. I don't want some damn lonesome road, but it's not September 20th yet, so yeah. can't get my paws on that yet. Book-wise, I've got a few things in my pile that I'm looking forward to reading. I really want to finish A Dance with Dragons because it's taken me a while to read. I keep finding myself, because I haven't read A Feast for Crows in a long time, I'm sitting there going, who's this person well, again? Well, it's not even that you have to reread A Feast for Crows. You have to reread A Feast for Crows and Clash of Kings. Yeah, and the whole thing is that he's not labeling a lot of the names on the pages anymore. So he'll say, like, the blind girl. And I always have these moments where I'm like, blind girl. Oh, that's who it is. And it takes me a few seconds, and it's really, really annoying. And I wish he just didn't do that. <laughs> but I'm about halfway through 600 pages. It's taking me a little bit longer than I'd like, but hardcovers of this proportion are kind of a bitch to lug around. The only other thing right now in my pile that I'm really looking forward to reading is uh, the two Violet Milan books that I picked up at Fan Expo. Um, I, I want more Dylan and Barno. <laughs> Movie-wise, I'm with Scott. I want Tintin. I don't freaking care about anything else for the rest of the year. I'm sure I'll go see some other movies, but I'm just so hyped about Tintin that it's not even funny. And the only other thing I'm actually really excited for is The Hunger Games, but that's not till next year. Yeah. Especially after finding out that Woody Harrelson is going to be Hamish, which is kind of awesome. He's, he's actually perfect for that role. It's not something I would have pictured <laughs> until I heard it. So I'm looking forward to that. And comic book-wise, I've got Birds of Prey, which I picked up a 
over the weekend, which I can't wait to read. The Gail Simone run of it, or at least part of it, so. It's a bunch of hot babes. Don't really care. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Thanks, and good night. Good night. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Please don't worry about license. Check out our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com. Check us out on Twitter at sbopodcast or our Facebook page at I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside. Or kick me an email at sbopodcast at gmail.com.